You know, one of the, uh, the greatest critiques that the world places on Christians, and it's rightfully so, but I think one of the greatest critiques that Christians receive is once people become believers, they sometimes forget how to have fun. Like we see believers, and, and we see this in the movies as they're portrayed over and over again, is believers are not being people that are experiencing the joys of life. Instead, we see believers as being people that are joyless. We see them as being people that are stern, people that are serious, people that are always sullen, or people that are Bible thumpers. And you know, I think about the movie, um, the movie Footloose, whether it's the older version or the newer version of Footloose. And in this video, we see that's really how they portray Christians. And so there's, if you know anything about the story, you know there's this young guy named Ren who comes into town from Chicago to this small town. I think it's set in Oklahoma. And this guy, this young man named Ren is, is very much enjoying life and wanting to, to suck all the morrow out of life that he can. And he comes into this town where he comes up and against basically the leadership of the pastor, the Reverend Moore of that town. And, and he is, this pastor has really said that, you know, in order to enjoy life, you're not supposed to dance, you're not supposed to have fun, you're not supposed to party, but instead you're supposed to just come and read the word of God. And you can see just in his character himself that he is a very serious person, that it's almost as though the joy of the Lord has left him. And so we see in that movie Footloose, um, what I think is the biggest critique of, of Christians. Now, is that a reality of the way it should be? And I believe that actually the opposite of what we see portrayed in movies should be true. I believe that it should be Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, that we should be setting the standard for fun and celebrating. If anyone in the world has any other reason to celebrate, don't we have the greatest reason to celebrate? I mean, we once were dead, but now we are alive. We once were lost, but now we are found. We once were underneath the weight and the oppression of our sin, but now we have received forgiveness in Christ. So do we not have the greatest reason to celebrate? Should our voices not continually be singing praises unto God and talking about who we were and now who we are? I love how King David in Psalm chapter 32, as he talks about this. Now, we, if you know anything about King David, you know King David was a guy that knew how to party. Like he knew how to celebrate life. We see him dancing. We see him partying. We see him having all of these great opportunities before the Lord and with God's people. And in Psalm chapter 32, he says this. He blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of being a believer. We no longer have the weight and the guilt of our sin held against us, for we are forgiven, and blessed is that man. And I love how David ends that psalm. He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in hearts. Man, if we don't have a reason to celebrate, then no one does. Through our faith in Christ, our sins can be forgiven. Through our faith in Christ, our relationship with God can be restored. What more could we want? 
You know, as we've been looking at this book of Esther, we've been asking ourselves the question, where is God? For as we've walked through this passage or in this book, we see that God's name is not mentioned. We know that his hand is theirs. We've tried to identify his hand as we've walked through this book, but we see that his hand is not there. So it seems as though God is veiled to us at times, but we also know through this book, we see that God is continually and will always continue to carry out and bring about his plan that he desires. So the question that we're going to look at today is where is God in the midst of our celebrations? So if we have a reason to celebrate, then where's God in the midst of celebrating? And that's really what we want to take a look at today. We want to talk today really about why do we have a right to party and why should we fight for our right to party? You guys remember that song? We got to fight for our right to party. Well, I, I pray today that we leave here with understanding of that is a godly thing to enjoy. It is godly to party. It is godly to seek the Lord and rejoice and to fulfill our lives with meaning and purpose in the Lord. So let's look at Esther chapter 9. And we're going to read through chapter 9 all the way to 10. And we'll complete um, this book this morning as we read it together. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, in the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear had fallen on all the peoples, all the officials of the providences and satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the providences, for the man, Mordecai, grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased with all those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and also killed Parshuda, and Dalphon and Aspeth and Poratha. I know I'm butchering all these names, but just go with me and just, they're not, I, mean, I could change them to names that we understand, but these are real literal people. That's why God allows their names to be in here. And even though I cannot pronounce them, they are real people that died on this day. Then the ten sons of Haman and the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, in Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done with the rest of the king's providences? Now this is, now, what is it that you wish? It shall be granted to you, and what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. Then Esther said, If it pleases the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow, and also to do according to this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was also issued uh, in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews were also in Susa, gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews were who were in the king's provinces, also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. 
And on the 14th day, they rested and made a, a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th day and rested on the 15th day, making the day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as the day of gladness and feasting, as a holiday, as a day on which they sent gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the province of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obligating them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from the enemies and as the month that had been turned from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that should make these days of feasting and gladness, the days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and Mordecai had written to them, but Haman the Agite, the son of Hamadath, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and cast lot, or cast pur, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders and writings that his evil plan and that he, that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and all that has been faced in this matter, and all has happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring, and all who joined them, that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written at the time appointed every year. That these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in the words of peace and truth. And these days of Purim, Purim should be observed at their appointed season, as Mordecai the Jew And Queen Esther obligated them as they had obligated themselves and their offsprings with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and is recorded in writing. Chapter 10. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him and are not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that you are a God of history, but that you are a God of our story, that you are working out your plans currently through our own lives. And so, Father, today I pray that as we come to your word, that our hearts and minds will be open to hear the truth that is contained within your word. Father, speak and allow us to listen and hear. Father, help us to see that you have designed great celebrations for us uh, on this earth. But, God, that there's also coming a time that those who have faith in you will celebrate for all eternity and will be with you once again. So, Father, today, speak, help us to listen, and transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, we have been walking through the book of Esther for some time now. And uh, we come to this place of of chapter 9 of the book of Esther. We see that God is at work delivering his people. 
and giving them a reason to celebrate. So that's the first thing we see in chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. We see God is at work delivering his people and giving a reason to celebrate. Prior to, to chapter 9, verse 1, we see that Haman had, was the second in command of the Persian Empire. And he uh, hated the Jews and wanted to destroy the Jews because of the history, but also because Mordecai refused to bow down to him. So one day, he determines that he is going to choose the day in which all of God's people will be exterminated. So he takes a lot. He takes dice or he takes cubes of, of chance and throws them and tries to determine the day. And in doing this, he is claiming supremacy over the Jews and over the Jews, the God of the Jews. And so basically what he's trying to say is I'm bigger than God. And we also know if you know anything about the Bible, whenever you do that, prepare to be dismantled. And so that's exactly what Haman is doing. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be more powerful than God. So because the lots fall on this day that was chosen to be the 12th month, month with, which is Adar on the 13th day, the Jews were supposed to be exterminated, but we see by the time that that day actually comes in chapter 9, we see that Haman is no longer around. Haman is dead. And this decree that went out that allowed all the Persian Empire to raise up against the Jew, actually, the reverse takes place on this actual day. For God's people rise up, and the Persian Empire now is behind God's people, and God's people absolutely destroy those that would be against them. So we see some great things have happened. God steps in and he saves the day. Has God ever stepped in in your life and saved the day? Like, have you ever been to a place in your life where, like, everything is just an absolute chaos and you really are at the point that unless God steps in and does something on your behalf or in your world, you feel like you're utterly going to be crushed? Have you ever been there? Well, if you haven't, I pray that you get there at times. Because we can't really know the power of God until we come to the end of ourselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, the only place we can look is look up. And we cry out to God and we say, God, step in and save the day. And then when God's wonderful hand steps in, doing something that we are not powerful enough to do ourselves, but he is powerful enough to do, that gives us a great reason to celebrate. Like how many of you here today have the power to save yourselves from your sin? None of us, right? But how many of us have been saved from our sin? Like, raise your hand. If you're, like, loud and proud about that. Yeah, if you're loud and proud, like, I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I found. I once was this dirty, rotten sinner, and though I still sin, I am forgiven. That's not something I could do in myself. Even though I tried for many, many years to try and save myself, I couldn't. But God stepped in in a moment in my life, and he saved me, and he changed me. And for that, I'm ever grateful. And so my life of surrender to the Lord is my only responsibility, my only proper response to what he has done. So we see that God gives us a reason to celebrate because he's the delivering God. But I want us to see, and I want to spend the rest of our time looking at God in our celebrations. And we're really going to look at verses 20 from chapter 9 on down to chapter 10. But God is in the midst of our celebrations, and I want to show you a quick video. Now, I'm not much, I love videos, but sometimes I don't set them up properly. So this one I'm going to send up, set up properly so you'll get the context. This video is a video shot 
of um, Jewish people and how they see this celebration of Purim, which we see Scripture talk about. So it's going to give you a little bit of background. So if you've missed some of the weeks and you haven't been through the whole Esther account, you'll get caught up to speed in just a matter of seconds. But this is the way the Jewish people kind of see the celebration of Purim today. In a funny way. Here comes the story of Purim. And it goes a little something like this. Persian king looking for a queen. Prettiest girl you've ever seen. Esther Wendio. Hey man's evil fools the king. Bow to me, y'all dig my ring. Jews don't go so low. Evil master getting nastier. Planning for a big disaster. Jews are worried, what's the story? Mordechai sacks his clothes. So raise your back if you are raised on the right way. Okay, here goes. Now it's time to tell the king. And I'm taking back my ring. Thank you. Thank you very much. And my plans have all been blown. But we can always, we can always party on our own. Let me hear you Never be, never be anything but true And always Is it cycling? Or is it- All right. So you can see that uh, the, the Feast of Purim or the time of Purim was a time of celebration. And you can see that it's a, a time to remember the past. And so um, we can see that even today that it's possible to have fun. And if you, if you have ever seen uh, or ever heard of, um, even today, those that are of the Jewish faith, they still celebrate Purim. And it is a, a huge party. It's a time to celebrate as they remember God's deliverance. But if we look through Scripture, we can see that in chapter 9, we see the setting up of this celebration. We see as they celebrate it for the very first time. And then as Mordecai continues on and uh, makes it a celebration that's supposed to continue throughout the years. We know that we serve a loving God, and God gives us times to celebrate. For even um, in the Jewish culture, there are times to celebrate that they have. There are 12 holidays that even Jews today um, 
have opportunity to celebrate. There are five uh, biblical holidays that the Jewish people are supposed to celebrate every year that were given in Scripture that are commanded from the Lord for them uh, to participate in, and seven that they had the opportunity to choose. And so the five biblical celebrations that God gave his people are all focused around the law. So we see that God instituted and God gave the Passover. The Passover is a time to remember the freedom from the Egyptian slavery and God's um, delivering them from that. Then we see the Feast of Weeks, which is seven uh, weeks after Passover. And the idea and the, the thought behind that celebration is that of truth. And it's a reminder of the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Then another celebration that God has commanded his people to take place in or part in is the the Feast of Tabernacles, which is um, a time to remember happiness or God providing during the 40 years in the wilderness. We also see God has given uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of awe, which is the celebration of the life of Adam. And it is a reminder also of the day of judgment. Then we also see that God has given his people Yom Kippur, which actually is taking place Last night into today, is that correct? Okay, so Yom Kippur is a time where the Jewish people are, it's 10 days after Rosh Hashanah, and it's a reminder of the Day of Atonement, where we pray and ask God for forgiveness of sins, um, but also have an opportunity in the past to have those sins atoned for. So God is a God that wants his people to continue to remember his faithfulness. He wants his people to look back and remind themselves of what he has done to save them. That God is in the process of redeeming them. That God is in the process of saving them from themselves. And so we see that in the past, in the Old Testament, all of these great celebrations actually pointed toward the gospel in the New Testament. All of those things were reminding God's people that they could not save themselves, that they could not get themselves out of Egypt, that they could not get themselves out of sin, that they could not even provide for themselves in the wilderness. But every single day, God stepped in and he saved the day and he saved the day and he saved the day. And then in the New Testament, we see that God eternally saves the day by stepping in and sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take all of the sin of the world on himself, on the cross, died our death, paid our penalty, then rose from the grave. And so that's why we as believers today no longer celebrate those Old Testament celebrations. We don't have to celebrate those, for the Lord commands us in the New Testament to remember and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. For in the Lord's Supper itself is a culmination of all of those celebrations of the past. And we are to do it as often as we do it in remembrance of him. And we do the Lord's Supper over and over again. And as we do, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So that's what we do today. That's why we as believers today no longer celebrate those other five celebrations. But we also see that God allowed his people to come up with their own celebrations as a way to, remember, to remind themselves of the freedom that they have in celebrating the hand of God. And so in the Old Testament, and uh, we see that there are five fasts that, God, that God's people celebrated. I'm not going to go through all of them, um, but there are two, also, two celebrations that um, the Jewish people have taken on over time. The first one was Purim, which is what we've learned about today. And we're going to learn a little bit more about what that looked like. Um, but this, this, the celebration of Purim was the deliverance of God's people from Haman. We also see that God's people um, were also have been celebrating and do celebrate Hanukkah. And Hanukkah comes as a time to um, commemorate the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem. 
um, and all those good things. And so we see that God has given his people opportunities to choose how to celebrate. And I want us to be aware today that God has given us as believers freedom to choose as well how we celebrate. We have the freedom to celebrate national holidays. And so we can celebrate Labor Day. We can celebrate Memorial Day. We can celebrate the 4th of July. We can celebrate national holidays. And we should be the ones that are leading the edge in celebration for what really is the celebration of Labor Day, Memorial Day, and the 4th of July. Those are celebrations of the hand of God, right? On the 4th, on 4th of July, we celebrate our independence as a country, as a nation. Well, who do you think was behind that? God. For it is in God that we trust. So when we celebrate the 4th of July, we should have the biggest party on the block. Because we're celebrating God giving us freedom as a nation to choose. But we also have the opportunity to choose how we uh, participate in family celebrations. We should celebrate weddings. Weddings should be huge. Because weddings, God is performing a miracle. He's taking two separate people and he's making them one in, in this beautiful thing called a wedding. We should celebrate anniversaries for God has been faithful in those marriages. We should celebrate birthdays. Birthday parties should be amazing for God is faithful in providing life and giving life and sustaining life from year to year. So birthdays should be big blowouts. We should be people that are partying. Now that's like a command. We should be people that are partying. Write that down. Pastor Jeff said we should be people that are partying. We have so much to celebrate. We should constantly be doing that. But there are ways to celebrate that are of the Lord, and there are ways to celebrate that are not of the Lord. And that's this is where um, we need to take the first statement that I said and connect this to it. So put the first statement: we have the right to party. We should be people that party. Asterisk. Okay, put that asterisk there. And this is the asterisk. For there are two ways to party. There are two ways to celebrate: one that honors the Lord, and one that doesn't. We can see worldly celebrations up against the way the believers celebrate one honors the lord one is very honoring to the lord and one is sinful worldly celebrations what they do in the essence of worldly celebrations the end of worldly celebrations always focus in on the accomplishments of man worldly celebrations always focus in on the accomplishments of men what they basically do is they either put god they take god off the throne of their lives and they put someone else up there so it is possible for someone to participate in the fourth of july and do it in such a way that is not of the lord doesn't honor the lord if you are on the fourth of july putting thomas jefferson up on the throne and saying man thomas jefferson you were the dog man you were the man you were the guy that we celebrate the fourth of july for so thomas jefferson today we give you homage we give you praise that is inappropriate or maybe fourth of july is all about fireworks for you and the fireworks become the thing that you're thinking about you don't think about god's hand in the celebration you don't think about god's hand in our freedom all you're thinking about is fireworks right like, I can't wait to get big fireworks so we can blow stuff up. That is a good way to celebrate. God can be in that. But if God's not on your mind when you're spending money on fireworks, then maybe that's not of the Lord, okay? So those are ways that we can um, t- focus on the accomplishment of man or we put people or other things on the throne. If we're celebrating and we're not acknowledging the hand of God, that is sinful. Or if we're taking the good gifts that God has given us 
and we're abusing them in our celebrations, then that is also sinful. That's how the world operates, and we see that. The world says it's all about partying. It's all about taking this and, and, and having so much fun by using and abusing the good gifts of God. But the believer, oh, the believer is supposed to party. The believer is supposed to get down. But the believer in all of their partying and all of their celebrating, they're continually supposed to acknowledge the hand of God. For do we not remember that in the book of James, the word of God says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from our Father of lights. We should be people that celebrate. And as we celebrate, we focus in on the hand of God. You know, I've been to a lot of birthday parties, okay? Like, as you have kids, and those of you who have kids, you know this. You go to birthday parties, and I don't know when the age is when you can, like, stop going to your friend, your kid's friend's birthday parties. Like, maybe it's, like, 12 years old or something. But there comes a time when you no longer go to your kid's birthday parties. Like, you take your kids, and you drop them off, and you leave. Well, we're not there yet, so we go to the kids' birthday parties. And I've been to a lot, a lot, a lot of birthday parties. And you can definitely see a difference in birthday parties from those that are believers and those that are not. Now, this might step on someone's toes or some of your toes, but I want you to see this. For the unbeliever, their child's birthday party is focused in on child worship. What are they celebrating? They're putting their child up to have a day where their king or their queen or they're the prince or they're the princess and everyone comes to give them gifts for themselves. But the believer celebrates that same birthday party in a very different way. At our house, we do birthday parties very differently. Yes, we still have cake. Yes, our kids still wear a crown. Yes, our girls get to do all. They get to be princess for the day. They get to be this. But it's not about child worship. We're honoring the faithfulness and the love of God in the ability and the gift of God giving life to our children. And that God sustained them for that year. And that God has a plan for them. So we're celebrating in birthday parties, we're celebrating the hand of God in the life of our child. Now that's honoring. So we can do cake, we do ice cream, we might do pin the tail on donkey, we may do a bunch of different things, but it's not child worship. So there are ways to celebrate in a way that honors the Lord, and there are ways to celebrate that don't honor the Lord. But in this account of Purim, we also see some elements of our celebrations. Purim was the day in which the Jews got relief. We see this in Scripture. It was the day in which the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as, um, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into holiday... They should make this days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So in this, we see some elements that should be evident in our celebrations. Our our, our celebration should continually recount the work of God. Like how many of you during Christmas time take the opportunity to read about the birth of Christ before you open up gifts? Maybe it's a Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. And you guys do that? Well, in doing so, what you're doing is you're retelling, you're recounting the work of God, saying it is we celebrate Christmas because this is the time that Christ was born, that Christ came to begin his work of redemption for us. And in the celebration of Purim, what they do even today is they retell the story or the account of Haman. They recount the story of how Haman's name has been blotted out. So as they go through and they read the account of 
uh, of Esther, whenever the name Haman comes across, you know what the people do as they're celebrating her? her? They have these loud symbols or they have these loud noisemakers so that as the reader is reading the story, whenever his name comes up, they make all this loud noise and so his name is blotted out so no one ever gets to hear his name. Isn't that a cool way of celebrating? You know what else they do during these celebrations as they're, they're recounting the story of God? They wear masks. It has become much like a Mardi Gras or it's become a time where they cover their face and what they're doing in covering their face in this celebration is reminding that God sometimes seems veiled to us or that the hand of God seems covered to us but that he is there. So they do these huge celebrations. So they recount the work of God. Also in Purim, what they do is they give gifts. They give gifts to one another, and so they celebrate and share gifts. Do we have holidays in which we give gifts to each other? Like, I think of some other holidays, like Hallmark holidays, you know, the ones that were invented by Hallmark. Yeah, the ones where they want you to go out and buy a $7 card so you can give it to your special loved one so that they two weeks later can go in a box or in the trash. You guys know those? How many of you guys, like, keep all those birthday cards and other cards? Bless you. That's great. That's awesome. I don't. Uh, Grandparents' Day, Sweetest Day. Have you guys ever celebrated Sweetest Day? October 15th is Sweetest Day. It's a day where you take your sweet, the one that you're sweet on, and you let them know that you're sweet on them. And so you spend lots of money. It's like another form of a fall Valentine's Day. It's crazy. So we have these celebrations, and we can celebrate them, and we give gifts to one another. But we can also do this in a way that honor the Lord, as we see here that God's people did. They gave gifts as a way of reminding that God is the giver of all gifts. And so it reminds us that everything that is good that we have comes from the Lord. And so we give because he has given. We also see another element of their celebration was sharing of food with the poor, with the poor or with those that are less fortunate. It's a reminder that our God came to seek and to save the lost. That we're not just here to separate ourselves from those that don't look like us, but we're here to engage those that need the Lord. And so we should have, as a part of our celebration, sharing with food with the poor. And lastly, we see that they feasted together. They celebrated in fellowship with food and with family. And it was a time to remember that God has provided. These were elements of their celebration. But in all things, they were focusing in on the hand of God. For us, the challenge is, as we seek to to wade through, should we do this? How should we celebrate this? Is we need to continually think about how are we focusing in on God and how are we making these celebrations? Not about us, but about what God has done through Christ. You know, churches celebrate lots of different things in lots of different ways. I was a part of a church that was in a rural farming community. And each fall, we would gather together for harvest day. And it was a, a yearly tradition. And, but what we did was every year at that time, we would set aside that Sunday morning to focus in on God and thank him so much for the harvest. For the church was made up of a majority of farmers and they did the work of planting the seed. They did the work of, of, of making sure that they could get rid of all the pest, put pesticides on it or whatever they did unless they were a green company and didn't use national, whatever. So they did all those things. And so they did all that they could. But in the end, they could not provide the harvest. It was God that made those plants grow. And so every year it was the farmers that had an opportunity to focus in on, God, you are the God of the harvest. And so it was a time for the church to rally around that. 
We ourselves last week as a church had an opportunity to rally together and, and celebrate the NFL kickoff day. Like the Lord was in that. The Lord was gracious. The Lord was here with us last week as we were watching ESPN Red Zone, which is the coolest channel ever. I've got to get that because that's cool. It was cool to be able to, to come together and fellowship in the name of the Lord over something that the world would see as a time to distort the hand of God. We saw it as a time and opportunity to gather together as God's people and eat together. We have a celebration coming up as a campus. Our church is having its one-year anniversary coming up soon. And you better believe we're going to celebrate that. For last year at this time, there was not a group of people worshiping God on this corner. And now, there is. Who's done it? The Lord. Who will continue to do it? The Lord. And so let's celebrate. Let's people that continue to celebrate over and over and over again, but let us all allow our celebrations to be of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. And God, thank you so much for showing us through your word that we can celebrate your hand. Let us be people, God, that continually celebrate you over and over and over and over again. Father, convict us of where um, maybe our celebrations in the past haven't honored you. Correct that in our hearts and allow us to walk in a new way. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.